So it's Friday night, 6 p.m. You're tuned in to Louie Live. It's a live talk show. It's my opinion about what goes on in Vermont and across the nation and around the world. And I usually play a little classic rock and I discuss whatever you happen to see on social media. And this week we're going to start the show off with a little Bon Jovi and a song called Living on a Prayer. And I hope you got a loud stereo because you're going to want to turn it up for Mr. John Bon Jovi. Here we go. Welcome to the show.
All right, and that was Bon Jovi with a song called Living on a Prayer. And once again, you're tuned into Louie Live, and I'm your host, Louie, and we are definitely live. Hopefully you're out of work and you're on your way home or you're already there and you took a shower and you're getting ready to go out for the night and get something to eat and have a good time. And that's a good song right there to launch the weekend with, I would think. I was listening to a radio show and uh, they were saying that they thought Bon Jovi living on a prayer was a dumb song, but it's about reality. It's about couples they meet, they go through the good times, the hard times. Sometimes your job is there, sometimes it isn't. You got bills to pay, you've got kids to raise. A lot of times you are living on a prayer, but I think kids nowadays, they're living at home with their parents till they're 27 years old. That's how long they can stay on their parents' insurance. Myself, personally, I don't refer to anyone who is 27 years old as a child. Because, like I said, my generation, when we were 27 years old, a lot of times we married our high school sweetheart, we bought a house, had a couple kids with a dog, living the American dream. Some people call it living on a prayer. But, like I said... These people who we refer to as children who are 27 years old who come back from college and can't get a job because they created their own major when they're in college, can't get a job, back home live with their parents in the basement. They don't really know what it's like to be living on a prayer because I see a lot of kids nowadays. They're like 12, 13, 15 years old, whatever the age is. They're walking down the street. They've got a $1,000 iPhone in their hand that their parents paid for, right? They've got a big screen TV in their bedroom. They've got a refrigerator full of food. You know, they get old enough to drive the parents' car. A lot of times their parents buy them a vehicle. So, what do they really know about life? What do they know about living on a prayer? And one thing about music, folks, is mostly it's about living in the time. It's like being back in the days of disco. If you try to launch disco nowadays, it would go nowhere. Because these aren't the same people as it was back then. Times have changed. Like I said, you have to actually go to a concert and experience the music. You have to actually live the lifestyle of the music. And in Vermont, for example, they don't really have any concerts. They have concerts at Dorset Park and Battery Park, free concerts like last night at Dorset Park, the week before we were there and we saw Chad Hollister He's a Vermont musician, very talented man, and his group. They all play off each other really well, one to another. He's got his own style. And you know, I encourage anyone to uh, go to YouTube and download his name, Chad Hollister, and I'm sure you'll appreciate his music as much as we do. But would Chad Hollister be successful back in the 70s? 
or the 80s or the 90s or even the 60s or the 50s. Back in the days when they had swing bands, orchestras. People used to say their parents listened to orchestra music. It really sucks. Well, then parents listen to your music, rock and roll, and they say, that stuff's terrible. How can they listen to that stuff? But like I say, music is all about living in the time and experiencing life as it was meant to be back in the day when the music was actually created. You can't really sit here and listen to a song from 30 years ago and expect to know what it was all about. You should try, though, because they don't really have any music nowadays. I think we can all agree on that, right? So, I try to start the show off with some local news, national news later on, and then go around the world. It's hard to find any good news nowadays. This article right here starts out kind of bad, but then it turns out good. It says a man was pinned under his crashed ATV for three days, but he survived. Man's name was Howard Coates. He was pinned between an all-train vehicle and a tree, surviving for three days with no food, no water, through rain and thunderstorms. Crews found him this past Sunday. He's still in the hospital and thankful to be alive. It was a picturesque Thursday and Coates planned a quick ride because there was something he wanted to see that night. He says, I just wanted to ride that one little hill and then come back and watch the Seahawks game, he said. Coates never got to watch the Seahawks game. Instead, he crashed his ATV rolling down a hill, which trapped him up against a tree. He says, I didn't have a shirt on or nothing. That tree was just tattooed on my back, he said. For three days, Coates was stuck, and on Saturday, a bad storm rolled through the area. He used what he could around him to keep warm. He says, I propped up the toolbox cover off the machine so I could use to catch some water and also keep some of the rain off my back, he said. I knew I was going to make it, just a matter of how much time it was going to take me. Coat said he kept himself occupied by replaying in his mind old concert he has been to, but he said it was also a grueling 72 hours. I'm sure it was. Finally, on Sunday, he was found in that same ravine against a tree by his brother, his son, and a county search and rescue team. It was just an apparition. I've never been so happy. I knew that my son was going to find me. I just knew what Coates said. And from there, Coates was flown to a hospital where he is still recovering from dehydration and injuries. Thank God he wasn't seriously injured and he was only pinned up against the tree. Had to be a long 72 hours, I would assume. It's a good thing his family went looking for him. I don't know why it took him <laughs> three days to go looking for him, right? But apparently he lived alone. I'm just kidding. Thank God he's alive and he's doing well. You know, you should always go out into the woods with somebody else in case something like that happens. Myself, I'm a perfect example. My dirt bike, I've been out in the woods 
a million times over the years. I've always gone by myself. I've gone to some really far out locations where you couldn't even ping your telephone if they had to. But I've always managed to come back. And I just won't tell you some of the places I've been and some of the things I've done on that dirt bike because my wife is probably listening out there and I'll just keep that to myself, right? But like I say, it's always a wise thing to go out into the woods with someone else, even if you're just out there hiking because anything can happen. And people don't realize it, but when you're out into the woods, it's no longer your domain. There's animals that live out there. There's bears, there's coyotes, there's bobcats. And they see you as food. So if you ever do go out in the woods, you should always arm yourself in case you do see a bear or a pack of coyotes because coyotes, they travel in packs and they hunt in a pack. And it don't matter to them, folks, if you're alive or dead because they'll eat you if you're dead and they'll eat you alive. That's the God's honest truth. Just a little tip from your buddy Louie. Go out into the woods, always go with someone else and always be able to defend yourself. So saying that, we're going to go to another song. It's an oldie but a goodie right here by Mr. Peter Schilling. The song called Major Tom. And once again, you're tuning to Louie Live and I'm your host, Louie. And I hope you're enjoying the show so far. And you want to crank your stereo up for this one.
Peter Schilling with a song called Major Tom. So where do we go from there? Do we want to go with uh, Israel and how they barred a couple of our congresswomen from entering Israel? Do we want to go with a petition to name a street after Obama in front of Trump Towers? It's kind of interesting too, isn't it? How about Jeffrey Epstein? That's all over the news. Financier, pedophile. Was he strangled in prison? Or did he hang himself? Well, I can go to that in a couple minutes. This is an interesting one right here. It says, uh, New Hampshire police say a woman drove for 10 miles the wrong way. Can you imagine that? I mean, I myself personally, folks, been drunk a time or two in my 60 years on this earth. We all have. 
but drunk enough to drive 10 miles down the wrong side of the highway. Uh, no, sir, never been that bad. State police in New Hampshire say a 22-year-old woman is facing multiple charges after she allegedly drove the wrong way for 10 miles on a state highway, even going through a toll plaza in the wrong direction. Can you imagine that? The incident was first reported at about 3.45 a.m. this past Wednesday. Police say the vehicle driven by Rachel Bears of Hollis continued traveling northbound on the wrong side of F.E. Everett Turnpike. She entered the Interstate 293 before eventually going into Manchester. Along the way, Bears passed the wrong way through the Bedford Toll Plaza. Troopers stopped the vehicle near Exit 7 on Interstate 293. Police say Barris was charged with driving while intoxicated and reckless conduct. And she's due in court next month. It cannot be determined if she has an attorney. And there's no phone listed to talk to her. Yeah, I'd say she was intoxicated, folks. Driving down the highway for 10 miles in the wrong direction and you even go through a toll booth the wrong way. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a hard decision for the judge. This is an interesting article right here. It says, uh, heavy social media use may hurt teens in mental health, study says. I'd agree myself. The study suggests social media may harm the mental health of teenagers by increasing their exposure to bullying. Hmm. A new study suggests social media use may harm the mental health of teenagers by causing their exposure of bullying. Now, I don't know who wrote that article, but apparently they didn't really read it over. They printed the same sentence twice. But I thought I'd just point that out to you. Like I said, a lot of people, they go to school, learn broadcasting. But apparently... Whoever wrote this article, and I'm going to say right now, it's the source, CNN News. Before they put it out there, they didn't take the time to notice that they printed the same sentence twice. All right, so having said that, having pointed out one of the facts that I don't listen to CNN is right there. In your face. That's just one of the reasons I don't listen to CNN, folks. It's fake news. From an independent point of view. It also reduces their sleep and exercise time, it says. I'm sure it does because a lot of people, even when they're sleeping, they have the phone right in their hand or right there on their pillow next to their face. Phones are very addictive. One of the worst things... They ever created was these smartphones in social media. Too many people giving their opinions out there. And it's not really an independent opinion that they're giving either. It's something that was put into their head through all the uh, evil media stations, I might add. So it says, Scientists conducted multiple interviews with almost 10,000 teenagers in England between ages 13 and 16. The teens reported the frequency that they use social media, sites like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Twitter, and Snapchat. More than three times daily was considered very frequent. 
Yeah, I would say that they're definitely using it more than three times a day, folks. They're switching off and on between these sites like three times a minute. That's more realistically speaking. The teens reported the frequency that they use social media sites like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever, are more than three times a day, but they claim that they're not spending as much time on the social media sites that they would like to because a lot of these children claim that their parents are putting barriers on them, which I also find kind of hard to believe. I think a lot of people, maybe in the beginning when they give their child a smartphone and they say, well, the reason I'm giving it to them is because they walk home from school by themselves and if anything was to happen, they would have the phone right on them and they can contact me and we will go and assist them with whatever situation they're going through. And I believe that to be true to a fact in the beginning, but after a while, I don't think parents are monitoring what their kids are doing on their phones. And that's probably where a lot of things go wrong because parents become lax and they're not seeing who their kids are talking to on social media or what they're doing or what they're searching for on Google or Bing. But you always have to keep on top of your kids, folks. You always have to be monitoring everything that's going on in their lifestyle because we live in some dangerous times. And it says, our results suggest that social media itself doesn't cause harm but that frequent use may disrupt activities that have a positive impact on mental health, such as sleeping and exercising, while increasing exposure of young people to harmful content, particularly the negative experience of cyberbullying. That's very true, folks. One thing about cyberbullying is that you can unplug yourself from social media. And when you do, they won't be able to bully you anymore. There's a lot of people out there that don't even own televisions because they don't want to know what's going on in the world. And you can't really blame them, but there is so much going on in the world and a lot of it is negativity. And you always have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to know who's living around you. It's always a good thing to know, folks. You just can't walk through this world blind to the facts because there's people out there that want to drop the borders. They want to allow anyone to come into this country that we don't even know anything about. You know, one thing we have learned over the decades, thanks to social media, is that we've all seen people from other countries in their streets burning the American flag, chanting death to America. And that's coming to America, folks. And a lot of it is already here. And you have to be aware of what's going on around you, just for your own safety's sake. We have rules and regulations and laws for a reason. And once those rules are no longer tended to once nobody applies them to their lives then you've got what? Chaos. 
you're going to be living in a world of chaos. You're no longer going to recognize the United States for what it has been since the writing of the Constitution. The Constitution is for a reason, folks. It's a set of guidelines for civility. And without guidelines, you have no civility. And you see that around the world. People like chopping each other's heads off and throwing each other off of rooftops because they're gay and people don't like you because you're gay and it's against their religion, so they throw you off of a rooftop. Well, folks, a lot of that is coming to America. A lot of people, they practice Sharia law. And if you don't assimilate to their law, then they'll cut your head off. You know, and that's according to their religion and their culture. And they don't really stray by those guidelines, folks. You know, in the Bible, the Christian Bible, it says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. Because we're all born with sin, we all die with sin. But before you die, you should beg for forgiveness. Maybe God will let you into heaven. But other cultures aren't that way. According to their religion, if you refuse to assimilate, they see you as worthless. You're not one of them, so they will just kill you and be on with it. Kind of like the Borg on Star Trek. You ever watch Star Trek? The culture called the Borg. They just go from planet to a planet, assimilating everybody that's there. And that's their prime directive. They have no other cause, no other purpose, but to move from country to country and just assimilate. That's how I see this Sharia law is being similar to the Borg. A lot of truth to that. But like I say, the Catholic religion, and in the Bible it talks about stoning people to death and whatnot. But nobody practices that anymore in the United States. You can read it in the Bible about stoning people to death. But we don't practice anymore. This is the 21st century, the year 2019. But if you go to other places on this planet, over in the Middle East, where they practice Sharia law, they literally will stone you to death, light you on fire, cut your head off, to teach you a lesson that it is either their way or no way. So like I say, folks, a lot of you out there just watching the HGTV channel, if you do have television, because you don't want to know what's on the news, you don't know what, want to know what's on around you, hopefully somebody doesn't come kicking in your door someday and either ask you if you're going to assimilate to their culture or die. Hopefully, patriotism in the United States makes a comeback because without patriotism this country is very weak and other countries realize that
So let's go to another song. The first half of the show is over, the half hour. It's 6.30. Let's go to a little Mr. Keith Urban. I like country music once in a while, and I should play it more. And Mr. Keith Urban is a very good musician, also very popular. And once again, you're tuned into Louis Lavin and your host Louis, and we are definitely live. So you might want to turn this up for Mr. Keith Urban. Here we go. Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood with a song called The Fighter. I'm going to try to play some more country music here and there. I don't listen to it all the time, but I do like good country music. I like jazz. I like rap. I like all kinds of music, but I like good quality music. 
So, I saw this article. This is interesting. It says, uh, the traffic stop led to a drug bust. And police say a traffic stop in Graniteville, Vermont, led to more than a pound of cocaine. The woman's name was Jessica Bridges. Vermont State Police say they pulled over Jessica Bridges, who was 38 years old, of Graniteville for a traffic violation. Isn't that weird? These people are driving down the road with a pound of cocaine, which is minimal to today's standards. And usually they have like $10,000 cash and some guns and whatnot. But they usually get pulled over for a violation, like they have a taillight out or something. Or they didn't use their blinker. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of common sense to realize that you're driving down the road with a pound of cocaine. If you get stopped, you get busted, you could be going to prison for years. So what's one of the first things you want to do? Logically speaking, using a little bit of common sense, you're going to want to make sure that you're driving a vehicle that is inspectable, right? You want to make sure all of the taillights are working, the headlights are working. And when you go to make a turn or whatever, you want to make sure that you lose your directional lights. So that just using just a little bit of common sense. I mean, you're driving around with a pound of cocaine. You get busted, you could be going to prison for years. So use your blinker. Make sure your taillights work, your brake lights, your headlights. I don't know, folks. So this woman, Jessica Bridges, 38 of Graniteville, was stopped by the police for a traffic violation. She gave troopers permission to search her car where they say they found 480 grams of cocaine. It's going to ruin a lot of people's lives, isn't it? Bridges faces drug trafficking charges and she's doing Washington County Court. Now, can you believe that? You pull over somebody, they've got a pound of cocaine which could ruin a lot of lives. Could even kill many people. Most people nowadays are driving around with heroin or fentanyl, which pretty much ends up killing everybody in the end. So what do you think about that situation? You say, well, you know, the woman, she didn't have a job. She has to pay her bills. No, I don't have any sympathy for people like this. And neither do the drug dealers. Because whether this woman gets thrown in jail doesn't matter to the drug dealers. They're out a pound of heroin, but cocaine, I'm sorry, doesn't matter. Either way, they won't go visit her in jail. They won't pay for an attorney to defend her or anybody else that is considered a mule driving their drugs around for them. The only thing these drug dealers want, folks, is to flood the area that you live in with hardcore addictive drugs like heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamines, on and on and on. That's all they care about. They want to flood the area that you live in 
with hardcore drugs and get everybody addicted, whether you're 100 years old or one year old. They just don't even care. They just want new addicted customers. They want to make money, 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 money. A lot of times these drug dealers, they don't do drugs themselves. They're addicted to the money and the power. So they get a bunch of people that do need money to exist. And they say, just put this pound of cocaine in your car and deliver it to this building over here for me. And they'll give you a package with some money in it and you bring it back to me. That way they're out of it and you're the one being pulled over by the police looking to go to jail. Having said all of that, folks, one thing that really bothers me is the fact that she is due in Washington County Court. She's not sitting in a jail cell waiting to go to court. No, she's out walking the streets free and clear. And a lot of times in situations like this, people like her will just go right back to their drug dealer and get another pound of cocaine. And they'll be delivering it right back to where they were. And you'll see that a lot of times. They'll bust them again for some other dumb reason like failure to use their blinker or having a taillight out on their car or a headlight or something. And the cops will be like, oh, didn't I see you last week? Didn't I bust you for driving with a pound of cocaine in your car? Oh, here's another citation. You know, I don't know if they'll deal with it in court on the very same day as the citation I gave you last week for driving around a pound of cocaine in your car. Maybe the judge would just give you probation for the first offense. Then the second offense, well, maybe you could just move out of state and they'll put a warrant out for your arrest. Then you can go down to like Massachusetts or New Hampshire or somewhere and drive for some other drug dealer down there distributing hardcore drugs like cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl. And that's the sad part of life, folks. That's the reality of life. Woman's driving around with a pound of cocaine in her car. You know, who knows how many lives that she's ruined? Who knows how many people that she's killed? These reporters should be doing articles, doing some investigative work as to just those facts. How many people's lives has this woman ruined? How many people has she killed because of her little incidents where she's driving around with a pound of cocaine in the car? And she gets busted and she's not even in jail waiting to go to court. It's pretty sad, isn't it? I saw this article right here. It says uh, St. Johnsbury, Vermont is looking at an old motel for a new fire and police facilities. That's a good thing, I suppose. It says a Vermont town is considering housing both its fire and police departments at the site of a former motel. 
The select board discussed this past Monday the possibility of putting the two departments under one roof at the former location of the Yankee Traveler Motel. The architectural firm working with the town says it would be the cheapest option at $7.6 million, not including the cost of purchasing the land. By the time things are all said and done, folks, starts out at $7.6 million, then they got to purchase the land probably for another million or two. Then after they get through the permit process, they get through the lawsuits of uh, some organizations suing them because they don't want the police department and fire department in this building. You know, this is the reality. This is what happened, folks. Whatever you're trying to do something, some non-profit organization comes along and files a lawsuit against you and holds you up in court for God only knows how long. And a lot of times, this never becomes a reality because that $7.6 million just kind of starts to fizzle away in court fees and whatnot. Says the town is considering other possibilities, including renovating existing buildings and constructing new ones. Police Chief Tim Page says he and the fire chief are fine with using a joint facility and that the decision should be what's best for the taxpayers. Well, most definitely. So, I read that today, August 16th, 2019. And we'll have to wait around and see just what the upcoming results are going to be. Hopefully it doesn't take years or decades like most things in the state of Vermont do. Speaking of being out in the woods hiking like I was earlier, this article says uh, activists take aim at coyote hunting in Vermont. It says Vermont is one of 39 states that allows year-round coyote hunting. However, not every Vermonter is on board with it. And this past February, a Craftberry woman took to social media to voice her disgust with the sport after she says a bloody coyote was chased across her property by hunting dogs. It says, in the months since her posts and other Facebook posts have gained traction from anti-coyote activists in the Green Mountain State. Well, folks... On one hand, people aren't hunting as they used to. Back in my generation, basically everybody took a couple weeks off from work during deer season to go out hunting. They would go to camp. There'd be about a dozen or so people at camp for a week or two solid, sitting around hunting all day, eating, drinking, playing cards. But I don't think so many people hunt anymore. So the deer population has increased dramatically, I think. So they have to introduce coyotes into the wildlife system to reduce the deer population, because otherwise you're gonna be overrun with deer. Same thing goes for moose and lynx and bobcats and muskrats and raccoons and skunks and everything 
on this planet from the smallest thing to the largest thing is in the food chain and we all eat one another that's reality folks so like I was saying if the amount of people that don't hunt anymore is reduced then the other wildlife populations are going to increase so coyotes are a necessary fact of life and there's been people talking about putting wolves back into the Vermont woods I don't know if that ever happened but that's also a key factor of life and that's why I tell people when you go out into the woods you have to be very careful because these coyotes they hunt in packs and they don't view you any differently than they do when you're hunting down a deer you're just food to them so you always have to be careful when you go out into the woods this woman that saw some dogs chasing her a coyote a wounded coyote across the field in front of her house Myself, personally, I don't really believe in hunting coyotes with dogs. I mean, if you're going out into the woods to be a hunter, then you should act as a hunter. You know, in my opinion, people go out deer hunting, and they'll sit in a tree stand all day long, just waiting for some deer to walk underneath them, and they'll shoot them. To me, that's not hunting at all, folks. And deer hunting isn't that complicated. If you've ever been out there, you'll start tracking a deer. And one thing a deer will do is they'll always try to gain the higher ground. And what they'll do is they'll circle off to the right ahead of you. And they'll get up on higher ground. And they'll be looking down on you. And when you keep on walking, they backtracked and they're in the total opposite direction than you are. Basically suckered you is what they did, folks. So what you're doing is, when you're hunting, like early in the morning, when the sun is coming up, and you're scaring a deer off of its bed that it was sleeping on the night before, that deer's going to get up ahead of you, and it's going to cut up to the right and go above you on higher ground and look down on you. So what you have to know is, you're going to take a right yourself and go to the higher ground and you're going to beat this deer to where he's heading to. Then after that, it's pretty much over with. Little hunting tip from Uncle Louie, right? <laughs> so, where do we go from there? Let's discuss... Uh, Mr. Jeffrey Epstein, financier, billionaire, real estate developer, man of many hats. One of the things that he did own was an island where people claimed that the rich would fly there. And it was like a resort where rich people would go there and have sex with underage children, which is horrific and very sickening. And 
They arrested him, finally, and were pressing charges on him. And he was on suicide watch. But somehow, they claimed that he managed to hang himself. Now, they're saying how the first incident, they went into his cell, and they heard noise, and his face was all banged up. He had a cellmate, and his cellmate claims that he didn't do it. He never laid a hand on him. Matter of fact, he was just laying on his bed sleeping with his headphones on and didn't hear a thing, and he claims that Jeffrey Epstein was banging his face into the wall trying to commit suicide. (laughs) That's a good one, huh, folks? So then... The night that he died, they took his cellmate out of the room. And they claimed that the guards fell asleep and he managed to hang himself. He committed suicide. But what they don't say is that when you're under suicide watch, they take everything out of your room. Anything that you could possibly do harm to yourself with. And they claimed that the sheet on his bed was made out of paper. Kind of like when you go to the doctor's office and you sit on the table, the examining table, and it's covered with a roll of paper. So I'm guessing that the sheet was made out of paper being very similar to the paper that you're sitting on the examining table when you go to the doctors. And they say that Jeffrey Epstein was a tall man, about six foot four, I believe. So if you were to tie that paper bed sheet to the rail of your bed, because I guess he was in bunk beds, and then lean forward He was a man that was about six foot four, probably weighed about 230 or 40 pounds. They said that his weight would tear that paper bedsheet and it would be impossible for him to commit suicide. But they also have reports that there is a lot of noise and screaming coming out of his cell from other prisoners, I would assume. Not the guards, because now they're saying how they were sleeping. Right? They put the warden of the prison and the guards all on paid leave while the investigation is going on. So, they did an autopsy, and they were saying that several bones in Jeffrey Epstein's neck was broken, right? How do you break several bones when you're trying to hang yourself with a paper sheet? They say that the results are most likely from somebody strangling him by the neck until he was dead. That's more likely. But they claim that Mr. Epstein 
had a little black book with all of the names of the people that visited his pedophile island. Some very wealthy people and rich and powerful people like former President Bill Clinton. They claim that he visited this pedophile island approximately 28 times that they know of. They claim that Hillary Rodham Clinton visited this pedophile island several times. They claim that Prince Arthur of England was best friends with Jeffrey Epstein. And God only knows how many times that he visited this pedophile island. And if you recall back in the day when Prince Arthur was married to Fergie, all this started coming to light. And she divorced Prince Arthur. And she was having some financial problems. And now they're finding out that Jeffrey Epstein paid off all of her bills and gave her some money to get through her hardships. Probably because she was threatening to blackmail him and reveal information regarding Prince Arthur and Jeffrey Epstein's relationship and everything that goes on this pedophile island. But as of today, the autopsy results claim that he hung himself in his jail cell. And hopefully, even though this has been swept under the rug as to how he died, hopefully the investigation is still going to go on. According to the Attorney General, Bill Barr, people shouldn't be breathing a sigh of relief because the investigation is still going to go on and they're asking a lot of the victims of these pedophiles that were hanging out on this island that was owned by Jeffrey Epstein, they're asking that they come forward and reveal their information as to regards to what was going on this island. You know, and one of the odd parts is there's a, a petition to name a street outside of Trump Towers after Obama gains momentum. <laughs> That's kind of odd, isn't it? It says there's a push to honor former President Barack Obama. A petition to name part of Fifth Avenue between 56th and 57th Street, President Barack H. Obama Avenue, is gathering momentum on the website moveon.org. Go figure, right? Of all places to name a street after Obama, the one that Trump Towers is on. Now, are these people vindictive? Do they have an axe to grind? Are they very nice people? Apparently not. They could name any street on this planet after Obama. But they choose to have a petition 
to get the street that Trump Towers is on. So let's say that they got another petition going that they want to rename Pennsylvania Avenue, the street that the White House is on. What if they wanted to rename that Trump Avenue? So you change it from Pennsylvania Avenue to Trump Avenue. I think liberals would lose their mind over that one, wouldn't they, folks? I don't really care if they name a school after Obama or a street, but to try to name the street that Trump Towers is on is just looking to pick a fight, isn't it? It's just all a matter of resistance, resistance, resistance. And like I say, they go stir in the pot, and then what happens? People lose their minds, and then there's another mass killing. History has proven that, folks. History has definitely proven that to be a fact that the Democrats are just stirring the pot, the pot of resistance, till somebody cracks and there's a mass killing. It says, however, one important condition hasn't been met for this co-naming request. It says, according to the city's general guidelines, the honoree in question, which is Obama, should be deceased for at least two years before the petition to name the street after. See that, folks? That's just like a common fact that everybody knows that whenever you want to honor somebody by naming a street after them, or putting their name on a building, such as the Echo Center on the waterfront in Burlington, Vermont. It's usually traditional that you wait for the person to be dead for at least a year or two. And we all know that Senator Patrick Leahy has his name on the side of the Echo Center on a Burlington waterfront. Has he been dead for at least a year or two? Uh, you could kind of argue that case. <laughs> Personally, I would say more than a year or two. But you have to ask yourself, why is his wife's Marcel's name on the side of the building too? Patrick and Marcel Leahy on the side of the Echo building. Something wrong with that, folks. Especially when, according to Seven Days newspaper, Patrick Leahy purchased a house in Virginia, like back in 1978, like 41 years ago, has all of his mail going there, and claims residency in Virginia. So if you're going to claim residency in Virginia, you should be running for the Senate to represent the state of Virginia, not the state of Vermont, because that would make you a fraud. Because according to the laws in the state of Vermont, if you're going to hold public office in the state of Vermont, you need to reside in the state of Vermont, not claim residency only. You also need to reside 
in the state of Vermont for 60% of the year and claim residency in the state of Vermont. So, as to why Congressman Leahy has never been investigated and prosecuted for fraud, if this article written by Seven Days Newspaper is correct, is totally beyond me. And if it is correct, then Patrick Leahy should reimburse the taxpayers of Vermont for his and his administration's wages and benefits back to the year 1978 when he first claimed residency in the state of Virginia. So all of you people out there that went to broadcasting school, all you people that claim to be investigative reporters, that's an article that I would like to see you work on. Where Senator Patrick Leahy claims his residency and how long he's been claiming it. And if he is a resident of Virginia, let's get the investigation going and let's get the court trial going. Because I think somebody that resides in Vermont and claims residency here deserves that seat in the Senate, not somebody who claims residency in Virginia. So we'll switch over here. This article says the EEE virus is found in New Hampshire. A potentially deadly mosquito-borne disease has been found in a New Hampshire town. The first batch of mosquitoes tested positive for eastern equine encephalitis, the EEE virus, as they refer to it, in Pelham, New Hampshire. Since 2004, there have been 15 human infections identified in New Hampshire. The last time a person was infected with EEE in New Hampshire was in 2014. Currently, there are no infections in people or animals this year, they claim. And symptoms usually appear four to 10 days after being bitten. So the symptoms range from flu-like illness, including fever, headache, weakness, and muscle and joint pains to inflammation of the brain. So if you have all of those symptoms, folks, especially inflammation of the brain, then you qualify to be a politician. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. You know, in my opinion, mosquitoes are flying syringes. So one lands on you and bites you. And whatever diseases you have in your blood system, that mosquito carries with it and lands on the next person and bites them. And yes, technically, anyone in the medical field will tell you that. You never share syringes because you can give one another your diseases and they can change into things that are even worse. And that's what these mosquitoes are, folks. They're flying syringes.
but the government will never really bring that fact to the front burner. So, this other article here says, an order is sought to let unvaccinated New York students attend school. So if you've got these mosquitoes flying all over the place, infecting people with different diseases, and especially if people aren't vaccinated, and then you're allowing them to go to school where they can cough and hack and gag all over one another all day long, and then spread those diseases, because a lot of them are airborne and that's how people catch them. It's not a good thing either, is it, folks? So it says a judge in New York has declined to immediately rule on whether to let unvaccinated children go back to school as their parents challenge the state's elimination of religious exemptions to the vaccines. The state requires all students to be vaccinated, but until recently made an exception for those whose parents objected on religious grounds. I don't think that's right at all, folks. You know, regardless of what religion you are, I don't think God stood in front of anybody and said, hey, I don't want you or your children to be vaccinated. Nobody can come forward and say that. So this baloney about not getting yourself or your children vaccinated because of religious beliefs is just a bunch of malarkey. And that, folks, right there is a word from Joe Biden, malarkey. Some people are out there bringing sexy back. And here's creepy Joe bringing back the word malarkey. (laughs) But, you know, Joe's the best they got. And he can't draw a crowd. They had what's-his-name the other day. Had a rally. Which one was that? Can't really remember. But he only drew 15 people. Oh, it was Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, running for president of the United States, and he held a rally, and they counted the people, folks. Less than 15 people showed up at his rally. Can you imagine that? I could draw more than 15 people not even running for any office. So, little advice to Mr. de Blasio, drop out. Kamala Harris, she's in the new polls. These are Democrat polls too, folks. She's in sixth place. And she's only pulling in like 2% of the vote. Can you imagine that? So, The Democrats have nobody on their ticket. They have no business experience to speak of, really. A lot of them don't have barely any political experience. A lot of them don't have any voting record to stand on. Once you start going through these facts there, folks, I mean, you can see that, you know, the economy is booming whether you like or hate Donald Trump. He is a businessman who knows what he's doing. The unemployment is lower than it's ever been for black people, Hispanics, 
for women. Unemployment is like about 3%. You can't deny it. You know, this uh, tariff war with China doesn't really affect us at all. Because as they say, you can't sell anything in China because the tariffs are so high. If you try to sell a vehicle in China, the tariffs are like 35% plus on every vehicle. And there's so many loopholes and red tape to go through. It's nearly impossible. None of the businesses in the United States They don't do much of their business with China. But because of NAFTA, which was created by Bill Clinton and his administration, all of the jobs went overseas. Chinese have money to burn. You can go out in California, folks, and don't take my word for it. Get on the plane and go out there, and you will see all of these new towns they're creating out there and expanding on. And a lot of these houses are sitting there for millions of dollars and they're empty. And they're built by the Asians. I said, don't take my word for it. Go out there and check it out yourself. And they're paid for with cash. And these buildings are sitting there, brand new, empty. And what does that do to your property value? It drives it up and it drives up your taxes and your utility rates and you can no longer afford to live there. So you are forced out. You're forced to sell your house and you're forced out. You know, people are leaving California in droves. And I always say, you don't need to folks. You need to stay there and stand your ground. You need to get involved in politics and change the laws so that people cannot come to the United States and just drop money and force you out of the community that you're living in. And you go to California all over the place, up through San Francisco, down through Los Angeles. There's so many people living homeless in the streets. You know, these are people, Americans, who are once living with pride and dignity. Some of these people work one or two jobs and they're living in their car or they're living in the streets. They're living in boxes and tents and they're living in filth. And a lot of them resort to alcohol and drugs and there's needles and all over the place and there's just people urinating and defecating in the streets. You see it all over the news, folks. I don't think people should be allowed to come to this country and buy property like that and force you out of your homes, force you out of the state. What are these politicians getting out of it? Getting a lot of bribes through campaign donations? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? I think the Supreme Court needs to step in and take over the situation going on in California, for instance because there's so many people living in the streets and there's so much filth and diseases and rats. Something needs to be done. And I think the National Guard needs to probably step in and clean up the situation.
They need to focus on deporting all of the people in California that are there illegally. Put them back across the border. And that will create a lot of available housing. And just maybe the price of housing will go down. And just maybe there will be a lot of jobs that will be opening up. We saw all this down south a week or two ago. They went into these chicken processing plants and they arrested close to 700 illegal immigrants. And they say, well, you know, Louie, those are the jobs that nobody wants to do. Well, that's BS, folks. Because we've all seen on the news that now that they arrested about 700 people that were here illegally working in those chicken processing plants, everybody's lined up to apply for their jobs. People that are actually American citizens that live here legally. You know, people that migrated to the United States legally. They're even insulted. A lot of people have to go through a lot of red tape and spend a lot of money and go through a lot of time and effort to gain access to the United States and gain citizenship. And when they finally do, a lot of times these people know more about our Constitution and our history and their civil rights than the average person does. And I commend them for that. They came to this country legally and they want to assimilate, be a part of our culture, live the American dream, have a good life for their children and their children's children. And that's what the American dream is, folks. Doing the right thing and passing it on to your children so they can pass it on to their children. So like I said... These people that come to me and say, Louie, these people are doing the jobs that nobody wants to. That's a bunch of BS, folks. BS. Because as you see, you can turn on the news now. And those 700 people that they arrested, the illegal immigrants at the chicken processing plants, people are lined up now applying for those jobs. And you know, folks, too bad for these businesses that now are going to have to pay people a somewhat livable wage because you can bet the farm that these 700 illegal immigrants they weren't even paying them minimum wage and probably paying them no benefits and that folks is called slavery before the civil war and after the civil war in the 21st century in the year 2019. So you tell that to people. Anyone that says, but Louie, nobody wants to work on farms. That's why we need illegal immigrants. That is BS, folks. People love working on the farms. They love working with their hands. They love working with wild stock. I mean livestock. They actually love the smell of that cow manure. 
They love country music. Carrie Underwood, Keith Urban. It's their lifestyle. They're farm people, they're cowboys, proud Americans, patriots. So don't let people fool you saying how nobody wants to do these jobs. It's called slave labor, folks. We're not going to tolerate it in the year 2019. If you want to do anything for these people, you can go to their third world countries and you can help them build businesses and make a better life. That's what you can do for these people, folks. That's what all these missionaries have always done throughout the years. You see them over in Africa, like all of these religious missionaries. They go over there, and they're teaching these people how to read and write, and they're teaching them about God and love for mankind. They're teaching them how to grow better crops, how to knit better clothing, how to read. That's what it's all about, folks. Because like I say, a lot of these people, they don't want to come to America. They don't want to assimilate. They want to stay where they are. They want things to be better where they are. And if you really want to help them, you're free to go there and help them all. So, speaking of going to a different country, we'll end the show with this article. And it says, Israel bars entry to outspoken U.S. Congresswoman. Representative Omar of Minnesota, she's a Democrat, right? says right here with a push from Donald Trump. Israel on Thursday barred two Muslim American congresswomen from entering the country for a visit. An extraordinary step bringing longtime U.S. ally into Trump's domestic fight against political rivals at home. Well, that's an opinion. In this February 5th, 2019 file photo, it says Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, on the left at the right, Representative Rashida Tayyib, Democrat of Michigan, listened to President Donald Trump's State of the Union speech at the Capitol in Washington. Israel's deputy foreign minister announced the two Democrat congresswomen are barred from entering the country. So the U.S. president is essentially relying on Israel to retaliate against the two freshman lawmakers, Representatives Rashida Tayyib of Michigan and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, who are both outspoken critics of Israel's treatment of Palestinians. They also part of the squad of liberal newcomers, also women of color. See, they're trying to bond themselves to African-American women. They're referring themselves as women of color. So it says it's a glaring departure from the tradition of American politicians leaving domestic disputes at the water's edge. Meaning you don't air your dirty laundry in public. 
and also meaning that you are Congresswoman of the United States. You're not representatives of the Palestinian people who they hate Jewish people. They don't care who knows. They go around the world saying death to Israel. You know, the people in Iran, the president of Iran, he says openly in front of the microphones and the cameras of the world, he says that if they get a nuclear bomb, they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And it's obvious that these two congresswomen representing the United States feel the same way. And now they want to go to Israel and show the world that they infiltrated, yes folks, they infiltrated the government of the United States. And they're going to rub it in Israel's face. And they're going to use their power and authority to make life hell for the people of Israel. Israel announced the ban shortly after Trump tweeted that it would show great weakness if the two were allowed to visit. Well, you know, folks, I think they should be allowed to visit Israel. And then we should rip up their passports and not let them back into the United States. You know, this is a woman... who took the oath of public office with her hand on the Korean, and the first words out of her mouth are, we are going to impeach this mother effer, Donald Trump. That, folks, reeks of high treason. And she should be prosecuted for treason. And now they are traveling around the world on a resistance tour, saying how they represent the people of Palestine, and they openly hate Jewish people. That is totally wrong, folks. So, we're going to move on. And I'll see you back here next Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. My good friend, Jerome P. Alaboni. I don't know if he's doing a live show tonight. He's probably doing a recorded show. So I'll put the automation on for him. And I hope you all have a good weekend. And you can go to my Facebook page and ask to join my group, Louie Live. And you can showcase your music there. And I encourage everybody to come down to Flint Avenue and check out our station here, WBTVLP 99.3 FM, and be a part of the station and help us be a part of the community. So have a good weekend. I'll talk to you later. Bye.